Sambo, grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast, bringing you true crime from around the world. Hi Islanders, well it's been a while and I won't go on here too much. But finally, after nearly two years, I was able to reunite with my lovely wife, Kate, in Thailand. I do have more in-depth about that on Patreon. Or if you've been following Kate's Facebook, she's been posting heaps of photos there. Plenty of great food. Anyway, this week's case is one I've been waiting for to get the final outcome and sentencing to bring to you. It's an Australian case for a change and it involves a hideously evil woman, what you would call a black widow. So, tonight's references are the Sydney Morning Herald, Channel 9 News, The Land, and mainly from Supreme Court documents. Okay, Islanders, this is going to be a lesson on how not to plan a murder. You know how I always say to delete your browser history? Well, that's more in case you have something happen to you and a family member will end up accessing your computer for some reason. You might not want them to find out your kink, but deleting your history is only part of it. Unless you're using a good VPN and you know what you're doing, everything you do on the internet is traceable back to you. And that's everything. They know more about you than you do. And here we have Natasha Beth Darcy, born in 1975. She reckons as a kid she was bullied by her older sisters and suffered anxiety since childhood. Now, she was just an average student. Natasha worked at McDonald's for a few years and then as a vet nurse and for a veterinarian pharmaceutical company. She also performed some casual work in a place called Walcher between 2006 and 2017, which included waitressing and working with racehorses. This Walcher place is a rural town about 425 kilometres or 264 miles north of Sydney. It's got sheep, cattle timber and quite a few wealthy landowners. It's the latter that enticed Townie Natasha to move there. Now, if you're into country music, or as I like to call it, farm emo, Walcher's not far from Tamworth, where they have the big country music festival. Okay, Natasha has three children to three baby daddies and has been married three times. Her first marriage bore no children, but Natasha does claim she was raped by her husband's friends in 1997. She claims that this has led to flashbacks and trauma and was the reason behind an attempted suicide in 1997 by overdose. Now, while I won't say this didn't happen, I think by the end of the episode you will cast a lot of doubt over her claims. Natasha married again in 1998 and her first child was born in 2002. She separated from her husband that year. Natasha was in a relationship with another man in 2003 and that lasted to 2005 when he left her for another woman. Now she was 20 weeks pregnant with his child at the time and this was her second. Natasha met paramedic Colin Crossman in 2006 and married him in 2007. He's the father of her third child. She pleaded guilty at one stage to charges that in 2009 she hit him on the head with a hammer whilst he slept. 
Now, three days later, she poisoned him with prescription medicine, well, drugged him so he was asleep, left him sleeping in the bedroom, which he doused in petrol and set on fire. Now, this was shortly after taking out insurance policies on his life. The last thing Colin remembered was eating tacos Natasha had made for him before waking up in the emergency department at Tamworth Hospital. Luckily, he survived and they separated in 2012. Now, I can't work out the three-year gap between the hammering and their separation, but it must have just been the length of the investigation and that she, of course, would have been all the time insisting she was innocent until it was clear to her that she had to plead guilty. She was jailed a minimum of nine months. There you go, nine months. Don't know, but that's pretty nasty and will or could be a case on its own. But that's not the case I'm bringing to you today. She does time for those crimes, but as we often see, things get a bit out of hand and they escalate once she's out and in a new relationship. So, we all know what an utter dumpster fire Tinder and those other dating apps are. There's even a Netflix Netflix thing about some guy who ripped off a few women that he'd found on Tinder. I haven't bothered to watch this as I've read many stories about men, women, whoever, bullshitting on Tinder and the like. So I don't need some dodgy Netflix show to tell me that you need to be very careful whom you meet online. I guess it doesn't matter if you just want to hook up, but if you're looking for love, then please, people, do your due diligence and check them out after a while. Maybe grab a good friend to slap you about to make sure what you're doing is the same thing. Really, I mean, get that friend who will tell you the truth to do a relationship welfare check on you. Love is blind, but not to those around you. Okay, so now we come to the victim in this case, Matthew John Dunbar, born in 1975. He was looking for love, and Natasha swiped right on Matthew in late 2014, and they started to chat. Now, I can't be sure if it was Tinder, but it was some sort of dating app. Matthew was lonely, and Natasha was a single mum with three kids, three baby daddies, and nothing to her name except debts. But other than being lonely, Matthew had money and assets. Not that Matthew wasn't attractive, quite the contrary. But his assets were very enticing to Natasha, especially his multi-million dollar property, Pandora, worth in excess of $3.5 million. And this area isn't just full of dirt farmers. This is prime farming land with some of the fastest rising prices in Australia. Natasha planned to get close to him by purchasing a couple of lambs, which she could go to Matthew with and get to know him a little bit better. She told one of her ex-partners, Fred Nicholson, that these lambs will do a lot for me. Fred, the ex-partner, well, he would come to claim that he dodged a bullet not ending up with her as his farm wasn't as big as Matthew's, so she moved on from him. But she still stole his credit cards, money, and also tried to blackmail him. Again, nice piece of work she is. Well, the two lambs worked. Matthew was head over heels with Natasha. He not only had someone that could fill up his empty heart and house, but she also came with three kids. Just what he wanted, an instant family. But as word got around town that Natasha and Matthew were becoming a thing, people were getting worried for Matthew. She'd already tried to murder one husband, as mentioned before, and it was thought she was just a gold digger targeting Matthew for his money. So early on in the relationship, around March of 2015, 
Natasha had to do time for that credit card fraud and she did that while she'd actually been on parole for the 2009 crimes. And as you know, that's a double whammy. It was about this time she started to work on Matthew to change his will so that in case of his death, she would be the sole beneficiary. On the 13th of May 2015, Matthew changed his will, which had the effect of leaving Pandora the big property entirely to Natasha in the event of his death. Now, Matthew's close friends warned him about Natasha, and he did not like that warning. He stopped having any contact with these friends. He loved Natasha and her kids. His life was now complete. Natasha gets out of prison, in which she was there for 17 months, and moves into Pandora around October of 2016. She brings with her just three kids and, of course, her debt. Matthew takes care of all the financial needs at this stage, and by the 2nd of August 2017... Matthew Dunbar would be dead, aged 42. He was found in bed, a plastic bag taped around his head connected to a helium cylinder. There was a clonidine bottle on the kitchen counter and an empty bottle of clonidine in the bin. Now, clonidine can cause an unsafe drop in blood pressure or heart rate when too much is taken. In overdose, it can also cause deep sedation and affect the ability to breathe normally. On the surface, it looked like a suicide. To the town folks and police, Matthew's death was suspicious and a full investigation commenced. So, as in all investigations, they wanted to work out what Matthew had done that day. You know, trace his movements, any contacts he had, plus interview family and friends. I would say, pretty quickly, they had Natasha as a prime suspect. And it would all come out in the internet browsing history. On the 1st of August at about 9.47am, Natasha and Matthew attended Tamworth Base Hospital together for a consultation with the orthopaedic department about Matthew's calf. He had a bit of problem with it. Now, whilst there, Natasha searched on her phone, LGAS and Helium Hire Tamworth. She took two screenshots of a 3.5 cubic metre helium cylinder and sent them via MMS to Matthew's phone. At around 11.35am, Natasha attended Supergas at West Tamworth with Matthew. She parked outside and Matthew entered the store and paid for and collected the helium. He thinks there's a party going on, right? They together then attended the Gusto Cafe in Peel Street, Tamworth. Now, while Matthew was inside the cafe ordering, Natasha sat at a table outside and searched on her mobile phone the following. Do-it-yourself exit bag instructions and watch parts, if not all, of several videos on YouTube visually demonstrating the techniques required to successfully kill yourself using helium gas and an exit bag. Jesus. She continued to search the net about all these things even after Matthew had returned to the table and sat opposite her. She searched suicide bag, suicide bag regulator, suicide bag how to connect, suicide bag connect helium and how to use helium. She did this on her phone while he was on his phone updating friends about his visit to the doctor. Now, Natasha and Matthew returned home to Pandora that afternoon. Natasha prepared a simple dinner for the family and she and Matthew shared a bottle of red wine. At a time between 7pm and 1am, Natasha prepared a drink for Matthew in one of those magic bullet machines. They ended up going to bed and Matthew was dead by morning. Okay, so... 
A few close friends knew Matthew had recently had suicidal thoughts. Life with Natasha wasn't all roses. He was beginning to see he'd made a big mistake getting involved with her, and I think Natasha was getting desperate thinking she might get ditched and be out on the street. We'll go back now to the months before Matthew's death. Around the 11th of April 2017, Matthew's friend Craig Hoy died by suicide. Now this really upset Matthew, and I can see that it probably gave him some mild depression, but it surely was stressful for him. On the 13th of June, following an argument initiated by Natasha about money Matthew had recently given to an ex-girlfriend, Matthew threatened to kill himself and was voluntarily admitted to Banksia Mental Health Impatient Unit at Tamworth Hospital. Now, he was discharged a couple of days later. Now, this was how Matthew was. If somebody needed a bit of a loan, he was quite happy, even if it was an ex-girlfriend, just to help him out. Now, in the weeks prior to this incident, Natasha had been emotionally manipulating and gaslighting Matthew, including making reference to the rafters in the shed that they weren't high enough for him to hang himself from. Jesus! When he was in Banksia, she provided a false history to his treating doctors regarding a history of depression and recent behaviour. And in the months before, Natasha began making statements to others claiming Matthew had mental and physical problems. So here's the once happy but lonely farmer Matthew, now in such despair from Natasha's toxic behaviour, he's thinking about trying to kill himself. But as the investigation went on by the cops, it would be found that Natasha had been googling a lot, and it looked like she'd been planning the death of Matthew from pretty much the time she'd been released from prison. She used not only the computer on the farm, but her mobile phone and even used Matthew's mobile phone to conduct these searches. Now, I'm going to go through some of these because, honestly, it would probably take me hours to mention them all. From early February 2017 to early April 2017, on many different days, she made a number of topic searches about and including poisonous mushrooms, poisonous fungi, 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 spider venom, and dangerous plants. Wonder why she's doing that. From early March 2017 to late April, she researched the human anatomy and injections into parts of the body that would be capable of causing death. Examples of those searches include spinal tap, epidural, air injected into vein, inject air into spine, lumbar puncture, how far, depth of spinal cord, spine meets brain, spinal injections, and stabbed in the brain. Then, on the 23rd of March, she searched amongst other similar wordings, can police see websites? And if police have your mobile, can they see websites? Then in April, she began researching suicide, drugs, and drugs used in suicide. Then she started searching how to commit suicide, food processor recipes, suicide methods, how many tablets, suicide, Valium suicide, sedative suicide, cyanide, cyanide pill, ecstasy suicide, overdose painkillers. It just went on and on and on. Now, on June the 14th, that was while Matthew was still in Banksia Hospital, having just been prescribed sertraline, Natasha was in his home researching methods to cause his death including antidepressant types, sertraline, sertraline overdose, Seroquel, 
Sarah Coyle suicide, all this sort of stuff. So here he is actually being prescribed some medication and she's working out how she can use that medication to get rid of him. In mid-June, while Natasha was away with her daughter for a horse event, she researched on her iPhone the drug asapromazine and related topics. She searched ace horse sedative, is aceptaproximacine human, ace dose, IBM body weight, IBM horse body weight, buttocks, intermuscle injection, all that sort of stuff to do with that drug. Later in June, within 48 hours of having first researched asapromazine on her iPhone, she called the Walcher Vet Clinic and requested a RAM sedative, saying that Matthew required it for his RAMs. Her request was declined. The next day, she searched Doug Edlington Vet and had tried to contact him. Now, this was another attempt to obtain asapromazine. At 11.21 on June 20th, Matthew's iPhone was used to send to Natasha an SMS which read, I'm sorry, beautiful lady, for everything I've put you through. You deserve better than this. Now, this looks like it's a fake suicide note, and it was actually sent by Natasha from Matthew's phone. The next day, on the 21st of June, police who attended Pandora to carry out a welfare check observed Matthew to be extremely pale, unsteady on his feet, and very dry around his mouth. He was unable to speak intelligibly, slurring his words. These are symptoms of having too much clonidine or sertraline. On June 24th, Natasha sent a text message to Colin Crossman, that's her ex, that said, I think that Matt took his whole month of antidepressants. That's why he's so sick. Will it do permanent damage? Don't tell anyone. I don't want to have him committed again. Now, Colin Crossman replied, I don't know. Ring the doctor. And Natasha replied, okay, I'll call Banksia. But she actually didn't call anyone. The next day, she searched on her iPhone how to commit murder. The following day, Matthew called his doctor, Dr. Allen. He explained that he'd filled the script for Sertraline from 20th of June, but he couldn't find his medication, and he asked for another script. It looks like the Sertraline hadn't been lost, but had been taken by Natasha and administered to Matthew without his knowledge with the intention of causing him to overdose. Now, that's why it looks so groggy during the welfare check. Over the next few days, Natasha stepped up her search for asapromazine. On the 26th of June 2017, she called North Hill Veterinary Clinic in Armadale and attempted to obtain asapromazine using false details. Again, her request was declined. The next day, she called Creekland's Vet Clinic in Armadale and later that day searched ACP 10mg of 10mg. Asapromazine human and all this stuff to do with injected doses of asapromazine into humans and how much to overdose. The next day, 28th of June, she just keeps going. She attended Crickland's vet clinics and actually got a 100ml bottle of asapromazine and an 18-gauge, 1-inch monojet needle. She paid for it in cash under a false name and address. Then we get to July. Natasha used Matthew's mobile phone to search, Can you inject Valium? Suicide poem. Muscles for injection. And calf muscle. We'll skip a few days. We'll go to late July. Natasha searched on her phone the following. Oxycontin murder. Suspect pleads guilty. Intubating. Feeding tube. Suicide. Oxycodone suicide. Ritalin suicide overdose. Can you die from taking Ritalin? All this stuff 
And she just searched more and more, dozens more terms, pretty much with oxycodone and stuff like that. On the 24th of July, she searched getting avian, stroke murder, murder by stroke, murder by inducing heart attack, and 99 undetectable poisons. Jesus. On the 25th of July, she travelled to Armadale and purchased from a Miss McKnight a full box of paliperidone, that was 28 pills, and four pills of Seroquel, 300 milligram each. Having requested from Mrs. McKnight, anything that will make him sleep is great. I'll take it all. Jesus Christ. Whilst in Armadale, she purchased four 23G needles and ten, uh, two 10 mil syringes from Creekland's vet clinic under the false name Natasha Daly. Now that same day, she used her phone to search paliperidone suicide. Can you inject paliperidone? Can you inject paliperidone tablets? And it just goes on and on with all the Seroquel and everything. For the next few days, she's searching for different pills, how many to take to kill yourself, and she's pretty much committed for sure on what she's going to do. A few days later, on the 29th of July, she came across a website which instructed you on how to kill yourself, and it recommended helium asphyxiation as the best method. She then searched suicide helium. Spotlight helium, gas bottle, and suicide pronin. Later that evening, Natasha searched delete all web history. How long Telstra web history? When suicide home crime scene? Suicide house? Suicide house crime scene? Crime scene suicide? After suicide, is house a crime scene? After a suicide, is there a crime scene? How long after suicide is a house a crime scene? Also, barbecue gas, LPG, and suicide propane. Propane. So, it looks like after all of her Googling, she's decided that drugging and then using helium is the way she's going to kill Matthew, staging his death as a suicide. So, over the following days, she continues to search specific information, terms, and techniques to complete that plan successfully. On the 31st of July 2017 at Pandora between 1.15pm and 1.20pm she used her phone to search suicide bag and helium hire Tamworth. She then used the Mac computer at the farmhouse to search helium gas Tamworth and helium uses. At 2.15pm she used the landline at Pandora to call Supergas. She spoke to an employee there, Emma Worrell, and requested rental of a 3.5 cubic metre cylinder of helium, saying it was for an event she was holding and advising that it would be collected by Matthew the following day. How sick! Later that evening, she searched, can police see past web history? Can your internet history be tracked by internet provider? Can your internet history iPhone be tracked by internet provider? How long do internet providers keep history and helium, Tamworth, and again, suicide bag? So, on the 1st of August 2017, when Matthew and Natasha went to the hospital that day for Matthew's calf injury, and then went and had lunch and picked up the helium cylinder, got home and had dinner, that's when Natasha made a smoothie in that magic bullet machine. Without his knowledge, she added clonidine, quetiapine, tamazepam, and asapromazine to that drink. She poured the drink into a glass tumbler and provided it to him and he drank it and went to bed soon after. He remained in bed heavily sedated by the combination of those drugs. 
Whilst he remained sedated in bed, she moved the helium cylinder into the main bedroom and set up the exit bag type apparatus using a plastic bag, a length of white tubing cut from a shower hose in the laundry, black tape and elastic around the bag tightened around Matthew's neck. She staged a suicide scene by disposing or concealing the blue tilt valve that comes with that super gas thing. You know, that you put the, uh, the balloon on top, you just tilt it and fills it up. The acepromazine she'd obtained, she got rid of that. The Seroquel packaging and the Temazepam packaging. She just left the clonidine bottle on the kitchen counter and an empty one in the bin. At 11.25pm, she had a Facebook Messenger conversation with Belinda Watch. At 12.36am, she used Matthew's phone to search Is Helium Traceable Autopsy on Google and browse the result Toxicology Findings in Three Cases of Suicidal Asphyxiation with Helium. She's still searching. She's sort of already knocked him off at this stage, but she's still sort of thinking, oh, I better just keep searching for a few things. 1.14am, at a time Matthew, he was probably dead by then, she sent an SMS from his phone to Colin Crossman, her ex, comprising, in effect, a fake suicide note. And it read, Tell police to come to house. I don't want Tash or the kids to find me. Now, at about this time, she deleted her phone's entire internet history. And as we know, that sort of is half the job, but the rest of it is still on a server somewhere, all over the place. At 2am, having not received a response from Colin, she called emergency services and falsely claimed to have discovered the suicide. Ironically, Colin, he was one of the paramedics dispatched to the scene. Now, I wonder what he thought seeing Natasha, his ex, now she's already tried to kill him, seeing Matthew in bed had committed suicide. I mean, Jesus Natasha maintained Matthew's death was was a suicide during the entire police investigation. Throughout four police interviews, she told many lies in relation to matters such as Matthew's mental health, physical health, his sexuality, his sexual health, relationships, his financial position, and his ability to run his business. Yet she was trying to make out he was gay. She told many lies in an attempt to deceive the investigating police in relation to her knowledge of the contents and effect of Matthew's will. She knew all about that. She denied knowing anything about ordering the helium and her purchase of the various sedatives. And, of course, she denied knowing anything about her internet history. Now, even at this stage, right, she starts, she keeps Googling. She's researching what police could locate on her phone and whether they could access deleted internet history and communications. A little bit late for that, Natasha. She went so far as to seek technical information and assistance from Apple support and even Lionswood Investigations and Forensic about these things. She also researched the ability of police to detect clonidine, acepromazine, seroquel and temazepam on autopsy. I'll get that out. Following her arrest, while bail refused, she attempted to bribe an Amanda Elderfield to give specific evidence about Matthew in an effort to bolster the suicide assertion she'd made to police. Miss Elderfield ignored this request and came forward to police about it during the trial. Now, this conduct is now the, se- the subject of separate charges which are pending. I'm not too sure when they're coming up. And she also coached the evidence of her two eldest children. Well... 
She would go to trial denying everything. She'd get convicted of murder. Of course she would. She was she was convicted uh, and sentenced to a term of imprisonment of 40 years, comprising a non-parole period of 30 years, commencing on the 18th of November 2017 and ending on the 17th of November 2047, with a balanced term of 10 years ending on no, the 17th of November 2057, being eligible for release on parole November 2047. Okay, so... They call her the widow of Walcher, but I just, I never really called her that. I think it doesn't make too much sense. I think she should just be called the asshole that she is. What I don't understand is how she got such a light sentence when she tried to kill one of her other husbands. Remember that guy, the guy who got banged on the head and a couple of days later drugged and she tried to burn the house down around him? She only got 17 months for that. Now, Matthew Dunbar, he was a great bloke. It was just sucked into this vicious woman's web like several other guys had been. How the hell she thought months of Google searches on how to murder someone wouldn't be found? I mean, she even searched if her browser history could be seen by the cops after deleting it. So she must have known she was fucked, but still did it. Now, honestly, I suppose she thought by building up a narrative with those around Matthew that he was depressed and suicidal, this would cover her for when he would be found dead. It looks like a suicide. He'd been depressed and had gone to hospital at one stage and his mate died by suicide only months before, which really did upset him. Why would the cops look into her browser history? She must have been so desperate and greedy to get her hands on his money that she just didn't give the fact his death might be investigated enough weight. She could have had a great life with her kids being taken care of as well with Matthew. But somehow I think she wasn't about to become a farmer's wife. She wanted the millions and then to go back to the city to live and then possibly, probably find her next target. Now it's not the first time someone's murdered their significant other but planned it so badly that they were caught so quickly. Such a waste. Well, at least she got a long sentence, but that doesn't really help Matthew, his friends, and his family. Well, Islanders, I mean, I don't know if people like me saying this, but I think, what a bitch. Okay, so I'd like to thank my patrons, past and present, for keeping the island's light on. Liz Nelson, Michelle Mandel, Ambera Tolbert, Elizabeth Thorley, Chris Carey, he upped his pledge, Tim Gordon, and James Harrington. Special thanks to all my Patreons, past and present. Thank you so much. You have been very patient for the next episode. If you'd like to throw a dollar my way, please check out patreon.com forward slash Island. Or if you just want to shout me a beer, you can donate to paypal.me forward slash Island. Free beer is always nice after these dumpster diving cases, just like Gary Howard did and Loretta McKinney. Boom fagalunga, guys. But can I just ask that you take the time to share the podcast with your friends or even in groups on Facebook, whatever. The Island is one of the few truly independent true crime podcasts out there and pretty much commercial free. Because of the straight up nature of how I bring the show to you, it doesn't always go well for algorithms and all that. So I do rely on your help in getting the word out there. Best of all, it's free of charge to help The Island out. I'm also listed on Audible. If you're on Audible, please leave a rate and review on there if you, if you are on Audible there. Go to my website, truecrimeisland.com, where you can stream each episode if you don't want to use any iTunes or any pod player. 
I've got links to merch, social media and all that stuff there. And you can email me from there if you want to get in touch. Well, that's about it. I've been your host, Cambo. You've been listening to True Crime Island. And as I always say, don't forget to delete your browser history. Good night. Boom, fucker, Especially you, Natasha. Natasha.